everybody. This is Clues Chronicle 17, where we're going to talk about satellites, and we have some friends stopping by, Farce Value and Rochelle. Hello. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Welcome. Rochelle. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> hi, hi, hi. Well, I'd welcome Farce Value. There you go. They're going to be joining us on these. We're going to talk about our journey to fakery and what that's like. Well, we're, th- we're thinking about maybe splitting each topic into two episodes. And the reason would be so that we can get started on the topic and then reflect on it, listen to it, listen to ourselves and go, 
hmm, you know, actually this other point was brought up and, and maybe come back to it. And that doesn't mean Rochelle and Farce Value, you have to come back necessarily. <laughs> but So it's spread mm-hmm. out a little and we can try to integrate the talk into our, our lives as well. Right. Test it out on your neighbors, on your family, see what they say, and then come back and report out. Kind of, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been accused of um, not giving people enough, like, they don't ever have power to change society. That I, I guess that's kind of how I'm feeling. Mm. But I know a lot of people are like, no, people are society. And they, you know, but I, I guess where's that control? I don't know. I see. You, you're, you're kind of feeling like... We just talk about what we talk about because we're interested in the subjects and we shouldn't deliberately try to change anything. It upsets people so much when you question their paradigm. So I'm glad we're going to talk about when we questioned our own paradigm today because we're all doing it. And it's like, I think the more we discuss it, the less trauma we have. Yeah. The allegory of the cave is very old, as far as I understand. Yeah. So elaborate on that. What does that mean to you? Well, the way I understand it in, I guess, the Reader's Digest version is, uh, anyway, so the allegory of the cave, these guys are trapped in this cave, right? And they uh, they have no access to the outside world. So somehow there's a fire that uh, throws shadows on the wall that they can see that are some sort of dim representation of the world. And one of them manages to, to escape and goes out and experiences the world in actuality and he comes back and tries to explain to everybody what they're missing and they should i guess free themselves and escape and whatnot and uh and they're not too happy to hear that and so they i think they kill him i guess because they're so distressed by the idea that there's i guess more and they're they're missing or something like that so that's kind of been my experience of bringing up these subjects with people that haven't felt compelled to look deeper into uh, the matrix, if you want to call it that, for lack of something better, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I think that's why I put that at the end of the Vixen report that mentioned about Plato. It seemed like it was a cross between a literal, well, no, let's see, a cross between a metaphor about how we live in a, in society and Something about how it's just the human condition. And hopefully, I'm, I'm hearing in Kay that, you know, you're not sure whether it's it's society that we can change or whether it's a human condition thing. And I, I, I'm kind of in a gray area on that as well. I don't know. But I know that we are affecting some things just by talking about them. So I like to think that just talking about them is what we're supposed to be doing, whether, you know whether that changes things or not. Well, well, once you see see things, you can't unsee them. And so, from my perspective, it just gives me a little reassurance and some comfort to be able to discuss these subjects with other people that are on this wavelength, so there's not that tension if you're trying to share with people that haven't uh, really looked into this stuff. Because it causes a lot of distress in people that haven't. I, I don't know what compelled me to look into it, but uh, I think a lot of people don't don't bother. It's uh, maybe they don't have time. Let's help guide people to it right now, and let's get a little literal. And I want to ask you and Kham and Rochelle, please. You can remove names, you know, to protect the innocent or guilty or whatever. But uh, just uh, some kind of story about when you 
brought the subject up and were shut down and how that occurred and, and what that was like. I'm sure we all have a story like that. If, any, if no one wants to go first, I can try. Well, I'm just thinking, actually, of a good one. <laughs> but, you know, I've kind of learned to just kind of not say anything mostly about do anything. Like, um, I don't appear to be serious about it if I do bring it up, so I, I don't know. I think that that's what offends people mostly. Like, I'm so passionate about it, and I'm serious about it. Like, it's serious to me. If I just kind of speak about it in a general manner, it seems to not really offend people. Once you start getting into, like, the nuts and bolts of things, I think that's when, like, people will toil with the idea until it, it actually seems like there's some kind of validity to it. So, but go ahead, Floyd. Wow, no, that's actually a really good point. I, I can think of examples in my life, too, where... Yeah, you can talk about, let's say, let's talk about the subject of, just to, just to start with, you know, maybe nothing is as it seems in 9-11, or not everything is as it seems in 9-11, and people can agree with you, they can even say, yeah, it all seems kind of fishy, but as soon as you say, and, you know, that's why we have a phony war on terror, then that makes people nervous, because that applies to a real-life thing. Well, Al-Qaeda must be real. You know, I've seen it on the news so much, it can't, they can't have made it up. And it seems like that's the turning point, is getting to details. Like, people can talk about it in the abstract, but as soon as you try to help them apply that thing that they're acknowledging is true to the real world, it, it's really, it's like they have this fictional world they've built up that's kind of allergic to the truth, and so it can't handle... Uh, the the introduction of all the things that that would change about the stories yeah. they believe. Yeah, it's a serious disconnect, and so that's why you you know you can tell people and get people to understand one idea or one to understand one event, maybe something like Sandy Hook or whatever, and then the next day it's almost as if it never happened. And I think it's just because it's almost it's just kind of an intermediate like it's like it's entertainment for them, like it's entertainment for us too. But I'm saying in the, in the such that. It, it doesn't apply to anything else. After that conversation has ended, it, it goes no further, basically. Yeah. I think people may be a little bit intuitive, or maybe very intuitive, about where the inevitability of researching things to the level that we have been. I mean, I've been, I've been a member at Clues now for what, maybe six years or something, or, and I was kind of researching... 9-11 a couple of years prior to that but i went and i went down all the rabbit holes of course right before i came on the september clues movie and then i was like oh okay now this now everything makes sense this wraps it all up in a nice little bow but there's so many details that are involved in the story and being there for so long i've assimilated all this stuff and there's so many things that are familiar to me and if you talk to someone else that really hasn't looked into it they don't really know, and they don't know about all the conflicts and the the various, I don't know, internal inconsistencies in the story and stuff. And so it's kind of hard to to get them to understand because they haven't really examined the details or that thoroughly. Through, exactly. It's, that's the, one of the most frustrating <laughs> things for me and the most astonishing things to me also is I – this is why I don't talk to people about anything also because nobody has even taken the time to even look into the official story about things and, and realize how b much bullshit it is. You know what I mean? Like people who believe in 9-11 – 
I know somebody who thinks we went to the moon. Um, you know, and I'm telling him, I'm telling her, like, have, have you ever even seen the moon footage? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> maybe, maybe you should look at that first before you sit here and argue with me about how, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, how can you even, they're so adamant, they believe in something that they've never even looked into themselves. And it's just because they were trained that way. I mean, they don't even understand, they don't even understand that if you were to actually look at it, like, open the book and you see that there's no words in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's. Those, yeah, are the, yeah. those are the kind of people that, you know, I end up talking to. And I think if that's where things become frustrating, I think, you know, let's, I've talked to Kay about this before. I'm like, you know, if I could just have like a class or something like that, not a class, but like a workbook, something that makes people work through it themselves, basically. And like, okay, now go check out this video. Like, you need to have some kind of background in only the official story. And I mean, just to just so that you can say that that's bullshit. And that's kind of the beginning. Yes, I think that's true. What something that occurs to me when you say that is kind of like Mad Magazine. In order, f- in order for you to understand the c- the cultural critique that was Mad Magazine, you almost have to like indulge in pop culture in the first place, and then the jokes make sense because they're actually making fun of aspects of pop culture that you have to digest to understand. And if if you're kind of not in the critical or art critic mindset, yeah, or you're not detail-oriented. The pop stuff just doesn't... It's what you swim in. It's not really something you can even question. But I think that looking into those details, I, I had started out with that idea of people being intuitive about where that will lead. And if you pull the legs out from under that story, that's got to lead to other stories. Because that was a huge story. It was... To me, it was almost like the BCAD date of my life. Right, and, right. And for, for others, there may have been Kennedy or something. And so if you find out that that was not a real event, then well, that everything else has to unravel. It just it, it has to. You, you, oh, yeah, there's this Archduke Ferdinand got shot by this black hand oh, group. And God. then, you know, <laughs> a, a few months later, 20 million people were dead. Because yeah. of that. I mean, really? That, is that, he, you know, oh but you're, the whole of history is made up of things oh. like that. And so you're left with this having to rewrite your entire version of reality, which is not a bad thing, but it's probably terrifying to a lot of people, I imagine. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And, and that's probably what we're encountering. I, I'll, I'll start with my personal story, I guess, because it, it seems like it will help. It might help people to hear it. I guess I started researching in general i mean i've always been curious about things i've always been skeptical of things but i always thought too that the mainstream science was the way to go and what is mainstream science well it's kind of actually pop science that's just put out there by radio and talk shows and hollywood and stuff and occasionally a book in school but even that not so much as as just pop culture. Or 2005-2006, I was going through some major disillusionment. It might have had to do with graduating college. (laughs) I'm not sure. But um, in any case, uh, I started looking at everything. I started looking at weird topics out there topics and talking with people about it. And I was actually introduced to a lot of weird things by 
my friends at the time who were telling me about things that were weird, like UFOs and coast-to-coast AM kind of material. And up until that point, I had been developing like a very thick shield against all of that. I had decided, you know, none of it is real. There isn't really much of anything real. We might not even be real. I was so, I was, I wouldn't say skeptical as much as cynical. And I had bought the pop understanding of how things work. But then I started listening to these people that were, had always been around me, but, you know, people had come and gone and, and tried to introduce so-called woo-woo topics that I had dismissed. And then now I was actually kind of listening and going, okay, let me ask questions about this. And the point that would get me frustrated and the point that would stop me from investigating further was when they would answer quite honestly and probably intellectually soundly, uh, I don't know. And that would throw me off and I'd say, well, what the heck? Like, if you don't know, then it's, it, it can't possibly be a strong position. And now I was finding myself going, well, actually, I don't know. And I was finding myself... So I think the first step is actually recognizing that you don't know and letting go of some kind of preconceived belief and getting into that point like you were talking about where it, you're questioning AD and BC and you're questioning, you know, why are the months named the way they are? And where does, where does the information that we use regularly come from? And then I started questioning beyond... And I think there was this strange transition where I went from the person who was in this powerful position of being super skeptical and, you know, shaming people for telling me a story that I didn't agree with. And I was in this cultural superior position that I didn't even recognize. But it, it, it totally is like a, a sort of a privileged position to, to talk with the media and agree with the media to being in the realm of I don't know and half-heartedly investigating things and that is kind of another mainstream position and then I started getting to be a specialist and I didn't even realize this was happening until it was kind of too late and I had already absorbed just out of sheer curiosity so much information about various topics all while bearing in mind my first position that it all might be a pile of shit and that actually, I think, really strengthened me as I went into things like Loose Change, the documentary about uh, 9-11 being this secret murder cover-up, you know, perpetuated by the government and stuff, onto the possibility of things being faked, like uh, Killtown pointing out that the, you know, the gash in, in the Pennsylvania field was there before Flight 93 supposedly crashed there. And things like that, all the way to September Clues and on. And, you know, I didn't recognize all this had happened. And I think you guys could probably think back, remember something maybe similar happening to you. I don't think you've always been, you know, you, it seems like everyone has come to wake up at some point. They're not just born into, you know, a household where their parents are like, hey, guys, the news isn't, isn't even real. You know, we could be lucky if more and more people are born into households like that. But, um, you know, we've had this wake up time. And after that, I started trying to introduce people to the topics. And I was finding myself, I knew so many details 
at this point. And I had um, rejected so many theories that other people like us who would be curious would want to take a look at for themselves. Just wouldn't have the time. They didn't make the time to do it. What specifically happened after I had that period of time was, okay, here I'm going to go up to this person. I, I was working with somebody. And I had just watched September Clues for maybe the second or third time. And it was starting to really sink in. And I was watching a lot of videos, which were trying to debunk September Clues. And I was noticing that they were kind of weak. And there were certain points that just could not compete with the audacity of the, the official story and the contradictions, like just bold contradictions. For example, the one that was really sticking out for me was the varying airplane paths of the so-called second plane and how they just could not be reconciled whatsoever. You know, never mind the nose out blasting through the other side of the building intact, uh, which looks like a composition error, or never mind the some other common one is that, oh, the, the airplane, when it before the airplane hits, it's zoomed out and there's no sign of a plane at the really far zoom, but then the camera zooms in and suddenly the plane is there. Like, all those details weren't so important to me as much as I had looked at the airplane paths and studied them, okay? So this is the detail that I'm trying to introduce to other people. I told this person, hey, have you ever looked into 9-11? Because this is, you know, I had had experience being shut down and shutting down other people when talking about weird stuff, right? Yeah. So I was kind of like, I guess I'd, I have to try to talk to someone about this and just see how it goes. Because maybe the tables have turned now that I'm awake, you know? <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the most important thing. They said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I've looked into it a little bit. I said, but, but seriously, did you really look at how the airplane paths don't match at all. And they said, no, I didn't really look into it. I said, well, would you consider watching this video on it? Because I'd be really curious to get your input on this. I respect you, and I respect you, your mind and thinking. And they go, well, you know, my partner would be interested in this. They're always doing research on this and trying to tell me things. And I'm sure they'd get along famously with you. I never got, I, I never met with that partner of theirs, but, um, but I did try to talk with them more about it. And I think eventually, after a few days, reconfirming it in my mind over and over, like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. And trying to destroy it, trying to debunk it, trying to find ways that the airplane paths could be reconciled. And they could not. It's just impossible. So they said, yeah, it is weird. It's strange. I said, what do you think it means? And as far as I recall, they just kind of, their attitude was kind of like, it's too big. I don't know. I don't really know how we're supposed to do anything about it. There's a lot of weird things in this world. Can't really act on all the, all the things that we know about. And, and I thought, okay, I, I found the wrong person. You know, that was my impression. I just need to talk to more people. This person is maybe, maybe I was judging them. Maybe I was thinking, oh, they're slightly lazy or they're, they don't care like I do. Or so I tried to talk to a few other people who I thought were open to it. And I remember getting a speech thrown back at me the first time. And it was about how, well, 
I've seen the stories on TV that were about the victims and they, you know, and it, it was really impassioned. And I think it was because they had gotten tied up in the propaganda, the wall of tears, which I didn't also quite recognize at the time. You know, this is long before I had written the Vixen Report. So I was moved to question the existence of the passengers in the airplanes, but I was uncomfortable with the way that I had been chastised for making those questions. And it seemed to me that there was the kind of person who was curious and maybe slightly on the conservative side, just maybe like skeptical of things, wanting to doubt things. And then there was the kind of traditionally liberalish or democratic party side, which is like, I care about everyone. I want to fix everything and I pay attention. But the thing they're paying attention to is the propaganda where they're just getting false information. And, you know, they're very heartfelt people, devoted people, as far as I could tell. You know, they, some people could have been agents. I don't know. Uh, but I think most people who are really impassioned about it, they just believe it. They just innocently have fallen for it. And I kept trying to find other people who were not those people. And I kept finding that I couldn't find them. Everyone kept falling into one or another of these categories or somewhere in between. And the only people who ever got really into it seems to just go really far deep into topics that even I was like, whoa, like you already have a whole alternative theory for society that everyone needs to get on board with. And my first experience of that was in the same time frame, I met someone randomly, and I think it was at a anti-war rally or something like that and one of us randomly mentioned something about you know how there was an inside job or something like that and then it it was like a comedy like if someone could have filmed us it would have been hilarious we were just we were spitting you know rockefeller you know rothschild you know all the you know federal reserve like all the talking points of alex jones or whatever a furious meeting of minds, like this relief, like, oh, we're talking about this. And then we never saw each other again. So we didn't go anywhere. And that was finally this other kind of person that I found. But it's been very, very hard to find people like interested in clues for them who are this other, like almost fourth category of person that is kind of skeptical of everything, but still interested in details and still believing that things should change. That's good, but I don't know if we're going to get a one-size-fits-all, though, right? I hit different conspiracy theories for different people. <laughs> I just go to them and whatever. Like my sister, she believes the moon landing's fake, so I talked to her about the moon landing. My brother believes some other – I talked to him about, you know, food and stuff and split it up. I've just been I, – I'm just thinking about this ongoing discussion I've been having with this gentleman, and very amicably, and no, and not contentious, but he – it's it's very difficult because he, he watches a lot of news. He's, he likes to feel informed, so he watches all these different news channels. He was sort of kind of on the Trump bandwagon early, early. He, he predicted – I think he had actually a wager with some guy that this guy lost in a big way. Because he was so convinced the outcome was going to be the other way. So he was sort of skeptical of the, the media bias against Trump, which I don't even want to get into that. But 
he's open to discussing 9-11, but he's one of kind of the guy I had in mind when I was thinking about no one knowing any details. And he's totally opposed to the idea that news media would actually create uh, digital events or whatever that don't, don't I mean, there, there's an, there's a counterpart in reality, the, the destruction of the buildings. No, no, no one's going to argue about that. But then I say, well, have you ever looked at the videos and the internal conflicts and the things that were presented? And when he's like, well, anybody can make videos. There's all the internet's full of videos. I'm like, no, no, it's not somebody. These are the, the news. This is where you got your idea about what happened from the media sources. And it's just impossible for him to reconcile. He's like, well, they get it wrong sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of details or their reporting is not always accurate and, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. And I've kind of just given up. I don't really want to continue down this road because there's no, there's no way that he's ever going to, he's not going to look far enough in it to understand the, the obvious. And I said, well, you understand that if these, if the shadows conflict and the plane paths conflict and, you know, I mean, the, the video imagery of that day is just so horrible. And I'm, I'm in production and we shoot, I've shot thousands of hours of video and, and, and none of it's ever looked that terrible. All of this stuff is, it's just irreconcilable, but he, he won't look at it. It's just going to have this. And, and what I've become really curious about lately is how people develop the ideas that make up what they perceive as reality because they're not really looking at the details. So it's this vague collage of I probably mainly just anchors repeating parts of the story and, and not the fine details like we've looked at, like all the different rolling on the footage and people covered in flour and you know, all the, the nonsense that there's just, if you've been at Clues Forum for a long time, you've absorbed thousands of details about this yeah. event, but most people don't have anywhere near that depth of knowledge. And so but they do have an idea that they're sure they know it. And I'm just really curious how they get that idea into their minds without knowing the details. It's, it's interesting to me. That is fascinating. I think that I, I need to reflect on that point and maybe get back to you on that in episode two <laughs> or part two. And, and it's, of course, it's not just 9-11 either. It's Sandy Hook. It's the Boston bombing. It's all this stuff. Like there, there's... You know, people, they, they get the idea, and that makes up what they consider to be reality, but they don't really look at what's being presented overall. And I guess it's kind of strange when you understand it from our perspective. It's like, you know, why do they even go to the trouble to create all these silly little details? They don't even really have to because people aren't even paying attention for the most part, except to us, and, and we're not buying it anyway. So, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny. That's what I was kind of saying earlier, that um, people have opinions about things that they've never even looked into, you know? Like, like how can you, like, you believe we went to the moon, and why do you believe that? Like, seriously, why? You have no, you don't even know, like, the official story, which, I mean, you don't even have to see the black and white video, just reading about the official story, just like reading about the official story of 9-11. I mean, in, in, um, like, in a book, if you just read that, you would think, you would just know that it was complete bullshit, you know? And then on top of that, they have the moon video, which is just, I mean, they Skyped this from the moon in 1970. So, 
19 whatever, you know, live Skype us from the moon, live from the moon. And, you know, that's just, that's just BS, basically, is what I'm saying. And so if you've never looked into that, to have such a strong opinion as to what you really think about that is incredible. And I do wonder where they get these opinions from. And I, I mean, they're, they're, we're just taught it, I guess. We're just told. You know, I eventually got this this person down to the point that they actually didn't know whether we went to the moon or not. That's pretty much where we settled on that. Like, neither one of us actually knows, even though they were so adamant that they did know. People make excuses for everything, too. That's pretty good. Getting someone to say, you know, I don't know, or it's pretty, it's at least worth considering is pretty cool. I just want to interrupt really quick because uh, we have another guest that just joined, El Sushi. Uh, I don't know where El Sushi is based right now, but welcome. Hello. Are you there? I don't know if they can hear us. Okay, anyway. (laughs) But yeah, but so... Rochelle, do you remember actually waking up and getting to a point where you go, "Oh, I, I'm supposed to supposed to not talk about this anymore." I mean, was there like how long before you settled on that? Were you able to were you able to at least kind of get excited at somebody and have them kind of go, "Whoa, you're you really care about this?" Or yeah, I guess yeah. I mean. Um... <clears throat> It's, you know, it's, I think that that is the rug of Alex Jones, basically. You know, that's the side effects of that. The interesting thing is that I saw another friend of mine, after I showed her, like, the terror storm in game, the videos, she went into the crazy mode and tried to show her mom and all this other stuff, you know what I mean? And that lasts for a couple of days, whatever. And I think that you realize it pretty soon, you know, that, like, you're not supposed to really talk about these things. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> well, what what makes you think that? Because what is the experience like? That because here's the thing. I think some people they say, well, I if this were a real phenomenon, I would have I would have heard about it from someone, and I would people would be talking about it. There'd be a whistleblower. Someone would say something. That seems to be one of the one. You're talking about why do people believe these things? That one comes up a lot. And I wonder if we can share with people what it's like to actually be somebody who has information and trying to explain it to people and having them, you know, shove you aside and say, no, 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 not you. You're not the person that's supposed to, you know, tell me new information. Then maybe people can, you know, better understand our position. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, um, I know we've all seen the video of Naomi Wolf, regardless of who she it may or may not be, um, but you know the one about her basically just you know I, I like the government spectacle. Uh, I like that verbiage that she uses there. Um, I'm in total agreement with that. When I saw that video, I I was just like, um, I don't think I'm going to talk about this. There's no what is, why are we even talking about this anymore? If you know what I mean, like they're already it's already admitted, it's well known, you know. But still, though, this is stuff that we've been saying for years. What she's saying here, but. If you say all these things to people over years and then you pull that video up, for some reason, like that's supposed to that's supposed to solidify like what you, you know, what you said. So I think that it's just about people not wanting to hear uh, anything from you directly. You, you know, I think that it's kind of um, when you're on a one on one level with people in, in this information thing, I think that regardless of whether people are conscious of it or not, 
it's kind of like this arrogance. There's, there's this one upping going as far as like who's the most knowledgeable, who's the wisest. Who, you know, I don't think that it's wow. conscious, but I think that yeah. I think that nobody wants X guy telling them what's up. Do you know what I'm saying? So they need a third party. So what you do is you act like you're discovering the information together all at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to go through the process together so like you're all on a same plane. Like nobody wants to feel like already above them, basically. Then they're just going to shut you down, I feel. Yeah, it's almost like you see people change their attitude when they're maybe sometimes in an audience and there's some respected person or expert at a podium or something. Then we'll kind of go, oh, okay, we're all paying attention to this now. This person's words mean more than someone just talking to me on one level. And that maybe is where it's like authoritarianism, maybe on some level, that people think they they can they can change their opinions based on authority, but not the average person necessarily around them or their friends or their family even. Maybe even maybe even especially not family, because family knows you too well and is just trying to get your goat or you know. It, yeah, it may like, have more to do with social proof and not being isolated from the crowd what you know being part of the in crowd or the you know not being the one on the bleeding edge with the oddball opinion they're, they're going to wait until the tide has turned and then and so that can come from an authority figure or it can come from some type of groundswell or <clears throat> or something else like that but it's you know they're not going to be the first ones to be taking the contrary stance
Hello, El Sushi. Oh, hello, everyone. Sorry. Well, welcome. And uh, let's go through a quick introduction for people. So how did you find Clues Forum? I found Clues Forum. Actually, that was not Clues Forum back then. I think it was called uh, Real Check, Image Check, something yes, like that. Yes, Reality Check, yes. Reality Check, yeah. Uh, and actually, after, of course, I ended up watching September Clues. I believe it was the, <clears throat> the very first version of September Clues. It was published like probably like in 2008 by Simon. And uh, this is when I jumped into the, the forum, the associated forum after that. And I, from that time, I, I would never uh, stop reading uh, the forum, basically. I, I, <laughs> it was like an, a rude awakening, but a very healthy one, I would say. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, would you, we're on topic a little bit here with ways in which you tried to talk with other people about the subjects of Clues Forum and how you have met with success or failure and how you feel your social position maybe has changed or not changed. Yeah, I, I, I hear you on that one. It really uh, affected, I think, my social life in, uh, in some ways, um, not in a very strong way. I mean, it really depends on how you can handle this. Uh, within your own social network uh there was a time when i was in my 20s that was a few years ago yeah i couldn't believe that people would still buy the official version and actually even give credit to you know 9-11 tv so i was really pushy and uh, i would uh, argue with a lot of people around me i was it was it would be like Systematic. I would constantly argue, constantly try to make my point, and actually, I just realized it would produce uh, uh, some some sort of counter effect. <laughs> so it was not really that good, uh, and I actually I realized this afterwards, a little bit late. So I kind of changed my not my position. I I still believe the same thing. I went through all the works on the research work on the Clues Forum. So, but it did affect my my social life. So I had to readapt myself uh, the way i i sound in public the way i uh, there's this, this kind of perception that most people have from you that's um, sad that it's you, a little sad to me because i, I know that it sounds yeah. like you are a passionate person and you care like we do about the truth but can you go more into what is the counter effect that seems to have happened well, this is like one of the typical effects that it produces is basically a reaction of people like, like this guy is lost. That's the very uh, <laughs> that's the very common perception that uh, it produces on people. So this guy is lost. So he <laughs> he he needs to um, you know to build his life and to reconsider his life and blah blah blah. So that's uh. very, because most people wouldn't go far with you because they call you. You know, they think they put you in a category. That category is like it's kind of the lost category, and it's like okay, we will give you time to f fix your <laughs> your your life, and then we are quite sure you will be thinking in the right way. And come back <laughs> oh. I got that. That's the extreme version, and then I got some like more, like I would say, sane people. Um, sorry about that. Who basically would accept the idea of having uh, a very uh, some, some sort of intellectual not even like a, a very simple debate but i just realized that it actually yeah, the counter effect 
position is like, was actually stronger, I would say. It would, it would be hard for me to find people ready to talk about this. Outside Clues Forum, outside this place, <laughs> if, even if you bring solid arguments, um, I might have not met the right people. I don't know. That could be a possibility. Yes. Mm. Do you find that maybe, are you meeting a lot of expats in Japan? You know, like people from America, from Britain, they kind of... Yep. Maybe, maybe there's something about the expat community that they're kind of... I don't know. Maybe they feel beholden to the state, which supports their transition to another lifestyle, or they feel subconsciously attracted to perhaps Japanese propaganda or something else. Or is it just that maybe there's just not many people at all in the world who will be able to talk with us about this? I I would uh, love the idea of having them on, on board. And uh, I actually met one guy, I think. I think he's, he, he knew about Clues Forum. He happens to be American. But I would say for the vast majority, for a good 95%, they came to Japan with that kind of like expatriate contract. They were sent by their companies. Their salaries tripled. They got all the financial advantages. They lived the big life. And they don't care. Just like, well, they could, they they will listen to you, but it won't affect them their vision. I don't think so. They don't want to go that far. So that's the kind of uh, expatriate I, I'm. I keep meeting most of the time, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To make it well, to you know, to give you a, a very basic introduction of myself, I'm not an expatriate. I'm a local kind of guy. I came here with almost like zero contact. So I'm in a very different uh, kind of position, basically. I do have this kind of expatriate circles. I do meet them sometimes, I would say. But I'm trying not to be part of these groups besides yeah. outside the business, uh, I would say, real like business situations. Right. It's not something I really enjoyed. I've been, I like traveling. I like melting. I like trying to, uh, to be with, uh, well, if I go to a place, I would try to be with the local people as much as I can. So... Uh, yes, but yeah, I wouldn't. I understand the idea of like you become an expatriate. You don't want to. Well, satellites do not exist. Yeah, well, whatever. This just <laughs> that's the. <laughs> you mean like we can't really throw rockets uh, into the uh, you know stratosphere and then pass the thermosphere, whatever? But yeah, maybe I don't know, but I'm not an expert, so you know what? I I don't. I won't comment. That's the kind of thing I I keep hearing most of the time. Yeah, sad but true. Mm. In, since you're in Japan, have you had a chance to discuss the subject of the nuclear bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki being possibly falsified in some way? Very often, yeah. Yes, yes. I actually, I met a few, uh, I would say, senior, lovely, like, you know, grandmothers, which I would call, let's let's call them like this in such a way, yes. uh, who actually weren't in Hiroshima when it happened. So this witness are very precious, in my opinion. And actually, it, uh, I could confirm the, uh, the, the, the kind of witness that, you know, you could you can read on Blue's Forum, the idea that most, most of the population was, the local population was warned by the Japanese authorities and military authorities that the US, you know, Air Force will be bombing. And by bombing, I'm going to use the, you know, fire bombings or regular fire bombs. So that yes. the, there was an ev evacuation order. I could confirm that from my own perspective, much like, uh, you know, the real witnesses. So it seems like the rest is just 
history, which is basically, you know, the books. <laughs> yes, but yes. It's it's already printed out. It's already uh, there in in your bookstore and uh, on your pupils like table, you know. So it's it's inside the schools everywhere. So uh, it, it to me it looks like as for the H bomb, Japanese people would have a hard time considering that it could be fake because I I, I really noticed that they you very often use this as a psychological thing that like they idealize the 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 victim position i don't know if it yes. makes sense but yes. they use that as a as a thing as a hatred towards america and so that it really it's all about it's a very emotional thing and it's very efficient from the uh, u.s propaganda thing i would say wow so it would be hard for this and i would say it's a vast majority unfortunately to Realize the the whole uh, the, the hoax that it was. As for the nuclear energy, that's that's harder. It's even harder because uh, Japanese people are tend to be stoic people. They, they don't really uh, overreact, as you probably know, and they 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 always wait for their for the authority to tell them what to do, basically. And uh, yes, even even more so here, I would say. Uh, no, Fukushima. I I actually met Gaijin, who, like foreigners who, who went there. Actually, like some, there's an Italian guy, there's a Canadian guy who took their camera with them, and they they made a, a movie. They just uh, completely, like, totally independent, and they they could confirm the idea that people do live there. They uh, they decided not to to go uh, away. They they still have their properties. They still uh, grow vegetables. They, they still grow uh, whatever uh, you know rice. And uh, it's a very interesting uh, thing to watch. They put this time to time on Vimeo or the, the like this kind of video report. Very interesting, and you see that people are just uh, leading a normal life. They're not really playing the the whole thing like the, the, the fear mongering uh, tactic. So. Um, Wow, we'll have to get you on board when we well when we do a revisit of uh, the Fukushima thing because that's that's very interesting. Did you what did you think of our discussion of Fukushima? Did you think that maybe it was a land clearing or what happened there? Very interesting. Yeah, it could definitely be a land clearing. Definitely. Or for what I, I ignore that. I don't know. There are, there are a few ideas that I have in mind. Uh, I don't know. We talked about this with Simon. The fluid technology that happened to have met in December. The fluid, fluid uh, water pressure that would be like a very kind of uh, mature technology and that is very often used to provoke earthquakes. Yes, uh, to provoke no earthquakes. Hard, there's no like crazy scale, like scalar weapons, whatever. No, it's just a very simple technology and uh, it could definitely well be uh, this. I, I went there in 2012, but I. Uh, you know, the, you can't really get that far. There's this kind of protected zone where, in where you cannot enter, basically. So I wish I could go far. I think there's something going with this. It could be a fear-mongering like, thing, or that is one for sure. But that's, that's, I don't know, there's some business. <laughs> I just want to know what I usually ask people is, where did you get your name, El Sushi? And how? What is your level of anonymity that you choose? Like how 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 strong do you feel the importance of being anonymous or not? I'm half Spanish, half French. I, I very often went to this region called La Mancha in Spain, 
which is the north side of Spain. And uh, in 2003, Terry Gilliam, very famous producer of the Monty Pythons, he really he tried to make this movie called uh, Lost oh, in Man La Mancha. of La Mancha, right? Yeah. Yeah, Lost in La, yeah, Lost in La Mancha. And that, that was a... I love that. It was not actually a movie. It was a documentary of how they failed. Yes, how they failed to the make the Don Quixote movie. movie. Yeah. Exactly, yes. And so so that it, I took it from there, and then I just, uh, you know, uh, the La Mancha. And as for the sushi part, of course, as it's pretty easy to explain. Uh, I'm in Japan, so I, would, I just thought, yeah. That would be a weird combination, but that's uh, <laughs> it, it. Actually, became my avatar since the very first time I landed in Japan. Yeah, the first time I signed on blogs. And do you feel it's important to be a little anonymous online, or no? And why? <clears throat> I think it's too late. <laughs> I actually, oh, you could track me anyway. You could track me anyway. So, uh, as far as the importance of being anonymous, uh, yes, to some degree. I think as for the name. Um, putting your own pictures, you know, revealing your private picture, I mean, life on the internet, uh, I think, yes. So when you start digging into that subject, it can have uh, some sort of importance, I would say, yeah, if you want to. Uh, I'm not good at doing this. That's what I wanted to say. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. You've been great. Thank you for jumping in in the middle of our conversation. Um, I'm, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm keeping my, uh, you know, uh, anonymity. You know, I'm, uh, oh, that's the oh. thing I want. I want. <laughs> Oh, no, right. you're good. It's good. Yeah. El Sushi. We'll just call you El Sushi. Does okay, anyone else great. want Fine. to talk to El Sushi about something? If not, let's move on. <laughs> okay, uh, so, yeah, we were just talking about how waking up has been hard and how it's important to give people details. And I think Kay has some pretty interesting details about this so-called ISIS thing. She's been telling us that when she talks to... Muslim communities, which she's very close to, uh, nobody seems to know what this ISIS thing really is. So that seems like an important detail that most people don't, are most people are not privy to. No, right? Who gets to query Arabs all the time? <laughs> I'm in like Flynn, baby. Tomorrow <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go have dinner with another Arab family. But they all they all know my questions. I just I'm waiting for the new ones. Because so far, no one's ever heard of them, seen of ISIS. You know where it started? Okay, everyone knows the PLO. I know people who've been in the PLO, actually. And a lot of, a lot of other people who know people who've been in the PLO. Could you, ref uh, could you remind people about the Middle East conflict? What is the PLO? Oh, I'm sorry. The Palestinian Liberation Organization. Thank you. Yeah, with Yasser Arafat as the leader. And they were the prime antagonists with Israel, <laughs> can I say that, back in the 70s and 60s, 70s, going on 80s, and quite, quite active. And people, Palestinians, they were, Yasser Arafat was the main voice. So there were a couple other um, Hamas, I don't know personally, but people who know people. There you go, yeah. that one, I don't know firsthand. But then along, <clears throat> I met my husband in the 1980s. There's lots of talk of Hamas between the people, lots of talk of PLO, discussions about who they were in this. And then out of nowhere comes this Al-Qaeda. And my husband first heard of Al-Qaeda after 9-11. That day on 9-11 was the very first time my husband in the whole damn community heard of Al-Qaeda. Now, they were in the news prior, right? But unless you really dug in, you're not going to hear about them. 
Yeah, it was more like, uh, oh, who is that on-site reporter in Iran or something like that? It was a very vague fact. It wasn't something that was chumped around like it is now. And then now Al-Qaeda is talked about, but only after the news gave us all that information. But there's no personal involvement between anyone I have ever met in over 35 years of living in the Arab community, both in the United States and in Jordan. Wait, wait. Nobody. So are, are you saying that the BBC report that Al-Qaeda isn't even, doesn't even exist and that it was like kind of an invention of the intelligence agencies, that that might be closer to the truth than maybe most Americans are aware of? Well, yes, that's true. But if we look at the bigger picture, intelligence agencies make up stories. Well, I think that's their whole job. That's all they do is make up stories. That's their main purpose. Not to find people who are breaking the laws, but to make the stories up themselves and push them. That would make sense. That That's kind of, it, it, it jibes with what I feel about how when they talk about controlling information and, and stuff like that, we think it means, oh, there's some cute woman with with shades on who's trading microfilm in like a shoe. You know, that's the control of information. But we don't think about it as the very propaganda that we, like, breathe every day. Yes. Yes, it's so contrived. Crazy how contrived it is. But the whole Al-Qaeda, I mean, the whole ISIS, how in the heck did does everyone believe this, yet no Arab can ever say they saw it? Well, why do you believe in something you never saw? But they all believe in it, because you know why? They all watch the same news you and I do. They but, have CNN in Syria, for God's sake. They're but, all listening to the same stuff. But Kay, let me let me just challenge you on this because this is. Please respect me playing devil's advocate here for a moment. When I told people that the closest Muslim friends that I've had know nothing about this, and that they say it's pretty common knowledge in the Middle East that ISIS is an invention of U.S. and U.K. intelligence. Uh, they say that I'm a conspiracy theorist and that Muslims aren't really my friends. So can I just <laughs> ask you, uh, Muslims make friends, right? They don't, it's not all just, it's not all just posturing for the jihad, not just all. Uh... Well, there is no jihad. And you know what? You know what I never have also seen in the Muslim slash Arab community in the last 35 years? I've never seen religious extremism that led to terror or any type of thinking at all i mean that doesn't exist what about the shiites and the and the sunnis and them guys they're they're just carrying bombs under every baby bassinet and they're you know they're throwing bombs out of windows aren't they they're they're crazy taking their swords and being brown Being brown. If, if Sam well, and Rushdie were at a book signing in your town, would you be compelled to go, like, take them out because of the fatwa? No. No. Wouldn't no, you, I but, wouldn't. But, but, would you be, but you'd be compelled to go and, like, you know, just put a little tear in one of those soft covers. Right? Just no, to, that's <laughs> a lot of energy to hate like that. And, you know, the Shiite-Sunni battle, that's a cultural battle. That's not a religious battle. That's a cultural battle, and then the media spins it into religion and uses that as a divide. 
But the rusty the pe- thing was a big thing in the media for a while. I don't well, know yeah, the media, recall. right. The media made so it a big they, thing. Yeah. They would have you believing that there was this fatwa on Salman Rushdie and he couldn't be there seen in public been. because they're... So as far as a fatwa goes, is that like a global thing? Like every Muslim everywhere has to observe that and they're compelled to act? Okay. I mean, it sounds a little outrageous to me. That's a good question. What is a fatwa? Well, all you have to go to is an imam, which is the head of any mosque or any religious scholar or any... Usually, it's supposed to be a recognized scholar so that it means something, right? But the lesser scholars can do it too. But So, any recognized scholar, and there's thousands of them, maybe millions, you know, and they say uh, they issue a decree. Fatwa's just like a decree that this shouldn't... Women shouldn't drive a car alone in Saudi Arabia. So do we really take the fatwa seriously in Saudi Arabia when women aren't allowed to drive alone? Really? I don't don't know. I've never been to Saudi Arabia. I'd have to see if they're actually doing that over there. Oh, yes. I've talked to women. Yes, they comply. They all have to have drivers. They're not allowed to go out, drive alone. They can go out alone. They just can't drive alone. Yeah, I can confirm that. Yeah, I went to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. That's true. Well, my it's impression true. of the fatwa, it's like a contract, basically, kind of like a, not a price on, on his head necessarily, but a, a, a mandate that he's got to be taken out. Be, it's like a decree. Be blasphemed or whatever, right? Right. It's a you decree. Have wear, you have to wear a headscarf in, in Saudi Arabia. Is that mandatory? Um, I I knew a woman who worked there in the 2000s, and um, she did when she walked around. You don't have to. But if That's you don't want to get hassled and stuff by the locals, it's kind of a good idea. But, you know, you do what you want. You won't get arrested or anything. But there's only some places you have to wear a scarf. It's like when you go to Hodge, you have to wear a scarf there. This is great. We're exploring what it's what is the Middle East like, and we're not hearing it from the mainstream media. I actually had an argument with somebody about that. But, um you have to wear a headscarf in Saudi Arabia. I was like, there's no way that you have to. I'm like, I'm sure that, just like you said, Kay, there's got to be some places, but there's just absolutely no way. Like, if I went to Saudi Arabia, I would not wear a headscarf, and I don't see how they would make me wear a headscarf. So, I mean, if you're yeah. in the main city, you know, you're probably fine. Yeah. Nobody cares. But if you go to the countryside and there's dudes that have never seen you before with, and you got your headscarf off, they think you want it. So you got to be careful. <laughs> Because you're, you're portraying an image to the locals you don't understand. You get it? So oh, no, yeah. It's like an argument for local ignorance, if anything else. It's just about, well, this is their culture, and they don't know. or And our, uh, and our cultural bias, too, coming in there and being like, well, why don't you just treat me? Why don't you just know what Americans want, you know? Why don't you just know? We're, we're hot right. stuff. <laughs> Tell that well, to the French. <laughs> I, I don't think there's a lot of people that probably call themselves Christians that are really that familiar on a deep level with what the the Bible passages actually state. And, and a lot of, I mean, you can go to look at Evil Bible, or and they have a, some a bunch of references about the hard passages, which are you have to you have to kind of ignore this stuff. But nobody runs around saying that all the Christians are going to rise up and declare the Christian version of jihad on the rest of the world because it has these passages in the Bible. And it's very interesting because I know there's a lot of this perception, especially here or in the West, that the sort of the 
the Christian value set has created this sort of uh, egalitarian type of, you know, moral, multiculturalism, acceptance, tolerance. Well, I don't know about the multiculturalism, but more of a, a an emphasis on equality and and uh, you know freedom and human rights and whatnot than than a lot of other places, I guess. And so it's a cultural thing, but it's not really necessarily a religious thing because it's not adhering to the letter of the religion. And there's a lot, of course, there's 3,200 different Christian sects. Last time I checked, or according to somebody, <laughs> I haven't counted them all. So there's a lot of division. So it's just kind of a, this, once again, a collage of values where you have this kind of western mentality emerging out of that that people consider what western culture to be and they may call it christian but it, it's it's a very loose i guess type of definition yeah it sounds to me it's more like european it's like the un and or the eu culture the globalist it's like the airport culture which actually incidentally is largely controlled by Saudi Arabian companies, right, who also own land and investing in mines just like China. And so it seems to me it's like it's hard to say it's strictly the West. It's always more complex than the media tries to oversimplify it. Yeah, our, our picture of, of other places, it, it, it's very sketchy. It's portrayed by the media here. I've been a lot of different places in the world and I can't even imagine trying to develop a knowledge of these places through media and, and education and whatnot. The things that we're told is just so dramatically different than the experience of being there. And it's usually, how how should America change this place, right? It's like, th there was this disaster here. This is why we have to go in and take control of them. You know, it's like the world is such a crazy, unstable place. It, here's why it needs America now. That's they'll make some fake event about that or elaborate on a real event, and that's the excuse for America to come in and add sanctions and, or taxes to trade or whatever. It's so I don't know. I, I need but what to is America? That's another you know crazy idea too. It's just this sort of there's not a lot of consistency when you ask me. I mean, I, I, it's another discussion I've had with people trying to nail down what the definition of a country is, and it's really it's an idea. Yes. It does. I mean, you're not talking about the ground. The ground right. has been here forever. So you're talking about something else. Is it the people? Well, there's all these different people and all these Democrats, Republicans, Irish, Italian, and all these and different people. So you're not, it's not necessarily the people. Is it, is it the government? Well, half of the country hates the government and the other half. So it's not really that. What is it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's an idea. Just like, money or other abstractions well so i guess moving on to the topic at hand here have we all read or looked at the, the arguments for and against satellites Have either of you guys heard of Thaddeus Russell? 
history professor. He's, I, I'd love to have a conversation with him about, well, he's got a book called The Renegade History of America and his... Yes, his, oh, that's where I've heard it. Yes, yes, yes. I met him. I saw him talk. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yes, and um, I, I talked to him actually about the Clues Forum subject and gave him the give him the um, the link or whatever. I'm not sure if he actually followed up on it. He never signed in and said, hi, I'm Thaddeus Russell, author of, you know. <laughs> but uh, but yes, I did meet him and I, get to, I got to introduce the idea to him of this. But yes, no, I really liked that book and the stuff I, he covered. I still think this is a little third railish for a lot of people, especially people that have some visibility in the mainstream, even however marginal they may be as far as the mainstream goes he's he's kind of marginal but uh yeah his idea that uh change comes from uh people just you know saying fuck it yeah (laughs) exactly like that's why we have the that's why we have the weekend that's why we have a a shorter work days like it's not unions no no it was like slaves being like oh sure we'll be slaves and then they like slack off at any just drink all the time yeah <laughs> like and he has had this whole thing about madams and hookers in california like ah, what a great book thank you for reminding me of that this big chunk of the california economy and and you know it was like leading to all these particular changes and it's just forging and that it's kind of dovetails a little bit what I was talking to you the other day about just figuring ways to go around it and just forge ahead and not not be focused on the argument uh, you know because that's just it's just uh, it's chasing your tail figure out how to get things done in spite of it and I think all probably human advancement is is the story of people that did things in spite of what authority figures or friends and family or whoever were telling them that they couldn't do. Yes, I think this is actually getting us back on topic rather well because satellites are a very strange thing where it it doesn't really matter whether they exist or not. It doesn't matter at all. People still get their communications, you know, they get their... Their cable internet that we're using right now, they get their cable TV, they get their long distance TV reports or whatever, even if some of them are made in you know a studio on a blue screen. They have this working, they have their GPS, it doesn't really matter, to, it's magic. It may as well be magic, and some people will, will just say that. It doesn't matter to me. So in that case, even discussing what the, what the fuck satellites are supposed to be doesn't really matter. But it is a very interesting study in how a perception about how the world works or how our modern world works is perpetuated. Could it be just legacy of Explorer 1 and the, the new satellite Cold War thing that they just have never been able to wind down? So they just have to keep maintaining it forever? To me, that's as good a possibility as anything else. I mean, it sounds to me like... When, okay, Altair, uh, we asked, you know, we asked on Clues Forum, we're going to be talking about satellites. What, what, should, what should we be answering for skeptics? And Altair is someone who seems to want to believe in satellites. And he says, well, what are these teleports for if satellites don't exist? <laughs> you know, he, he lists some other issues. He's basically referring to these multi-million dollar companies that set up with the idea that, oh, we are taking satellite data and making it easy for you media companies to like get our information and when that seems to be just like a a sort of um 
a gatekeeping or or some kind of loose operation to to transfer things from the military domain like military bandwidths into civilian bandwidths that's pretty much what you end up with this idea that oh they're just talking about satellites because that's the story that people believe about how the military controls the bandwidths is they shoot up things into outer space they have them orbiting you know at thousands of miles away uh you know through the ionosphere through the thermosphere they self-correct they're these sensitive computers but it's okay because when they burn up they just disappear and we just send up another one it it is it does feel like a an old cold war story well hoy how, how do you know what's the story right what's the truth but i always try and ground myself into something real like when i do research you know, you never go to someone's pre-made video, for God's sake. No, <laughs> stop doing that. Go to the source. Go to industry. They're the best source of information because you're using the crap right now. So I was looking up a lot of satellite companies who say, or mostly it was um, companies selling their services. And every time almost I looked, the coverage the satellite would give is exactly the same as the terrestrial cable network or the um, undersea cable network. So basically, satellites don't give you any extra territory. They're redundant, you see. It could just be a, a, another way for them to kind of siphon all, all of our information, too, possibly. I mean, by, you know, setting up that um, extra wall there. I think, yeah, yeah. it is a wall because I think it's just another cable network. They're just pretending it's satellites. There's nothing up there. Never was. Right. And so then it's just actually the government. Then we're just like giving that we're just basically giving them the key to our outs pretty much. Well, I I know in the the production world, uh, once upon a time, and I guess in the late 90s, I, I would do events and we would have satellite downlinks right a guy would come out with a truck and maybe a little trailer and have a dish on it and they'd have access to bird x y or z for a window of time and then they would link to that whatever and it in retrospect it was probably uh, maybe a frequency bandwidth it was bouncing off the because the time i did and we were doing them like coast to coast like we were in california we'd be linking to a guy who had an uplink coming from boston maybe and they'd have it reserved for a, a specific period of time. And then they could link to that probably frequency bandwidth. And a certain, I guess it was maybe some, I guess a repeater. They were probably, you know, bouncing it off the ionosphere, I imagine, was get, get from coast to coast or whatever. But, uh, yeah, if you asked anyone in the production industry about satellite downlinks, they'd just say, oh, yeah, we have to ask for permission or reserve satellite time. And they'd all think satellites are up there. But, but what if uh, it's just time in a cable network? How would they know the difference? I mean, there's, you know, there's going to be line of sight communication, radio communication. Uh-huh. Obviously, those are there, right? So there are antennas. I'm not saying there's not antennas. And there's not, like you said, bouncing off the ionosphere and things like that. So every time they say, oh, we need a satellite here, you, we could use any other form of communication. So they're completely redundant. Well, when we were doing it, it was direct. Like there would be a guy in Boston with a camera and it would, we would get our feed directly from that little dish and run a cable into the ballroom and 
projected onto the screen and we'd have audio and video from that one source. It wasn't going through anything else. So it was coming out of the air in one way or another. Right. But, yeah. So, yeah, it could be some just local antenna or, you know, a line of sight or bouncing. Yeah. There's um, lots of ways you could catch information in the air. So that's interesting because this brings up one of the main questions that Altair said would be relevant for our discussion. We've already gotten to it, which is how does GPS work in the middle of the ocean? if not by picking up signals from a so-called satellite. And now let's just put aside the idea that, you know, there is something up there like a balloon or a high-flying airplane or anything else that's easily achievable for much cheaper than a satellite. And just speculate about airwave, ground wave. Do we have some technical knowledge here or are we just shooting in the dark? Well, first, there's no middle of the ocean it, it looks like there's a middle, but there's islands everywhere. There's no big, big, huge body of map. No, there's islands all through the Atlantic, all through the Pacific. Tons of places that just look look for them. There, um, seamounts. They're everywhere. Plus, bigger islands. There's tons of places you could put antennas. Well, here's but, another question that relates to that. When now I start thinking about the Mariana Trench and the incredible depths and of the whatever the drop off of the the ledge wherever it's the Gulf Stream or, or something, right? And so you start talking about cables being laid across the ocean and like and I understand that there's, well, we're told right by Nat Geo or whatever that there's all these crazy fish and, and incredible depths and there's there's so much pressure we can't get down there and it's miles and miles to the bottom of the ocean and and so how is it possible that there's islands in the middle and it, this is, but at the same time, we're stringing cable across there somehow, right? So parts of that story don't exactly add up to me unless right. they're, they're skirting the cable around the, the edges and shorelines and, and up through Iceland or I don't know. I encourage everyone, go look up the Sea Cable Network. It's massive and it's amazing. And it started in the late 1800s. It's crazy. Crazy technology. I mean, that's it, basically. That's our technology right there, people, <laughs> undersea cables. We're, we're really good at it, repairing them and adding more. Wouldn't it? I mean, if I had top secret information, I wouldn't want to put it on a dumb undersea cable. Anyone could get at it. But if I made this fanciful machine that I could beam it up to where no one could get at it, then it, no one could try and get it through the cable, which is really where I'm sending it. Sure. So it's a it's another military technique where you say, look over here, guys, while the other hand is doing something else. That makes sense, too. Have you guys ever seen like a photo of a satellite? I've seen I've seen plenty of drawings. I don't think we've ever seen. Real, you know, I was trying to see if at the the space like the NASA Space Center, I'm trying to take tours, virtual tours, obviously. Um, through there and see if they have a satellite on display because don't they have like their space rockets and all this stuff? So I guess that would be the only way you would be able to get up close to one, really. No, I don't think that I've ever seen anything from outer space. And I just want to say that, you know, one of the reasons why that they may be doing this is simply because just so that nobody else even tries to, as far as space goes and outer space and satellites or whatnot. If they didn't say that they've already done this, you know, maybe people would actually be trying to see what's up there and see what's out there. You know, it's kind of a, a stand down method, which just to bring it back for a second, that's kind of what I feel like the alternative media 
does to some people or is intentionally does to people like Alex Jones, especially the 9-11 theory. When people, when you ask people what they think about it, if they have an alternative theory, they're like, it was a false flag, this and that, and that's the end of it. So they'll never look any further into it. They feel like they already have the answer and there's no need to put any effort into discovering more about it. And the same kind of goes for space in general, space travel and all that, and just what's up there, you know, it's kind of like they're going to, they've given us the answers. And so we have no need to look further into it. I know you guys have all seen the movie, The Truman Show. It's one of the, you know, when he was growing up, he's like, I want to travel the world. And she pulls down the map. She's like, oh, honey, we've already done that. You know, so it's kind of like, don't even, don't even try and look into it. It's already been done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. As for me, well, it's pretty much the same. I, I haven't, uh, I've never witnessed any, uh, any satellite other than this climb, this this light that you see crossing the sky at night, and which you were told that you know by your grandfather. Oh, look at the when you were a child. Look at this light over the sky. This is a satellite, so it's just fairy fairy tale. Of course, yeah, I have. I had to deal with a bunch of people, so called specialists working with the uh, European Space Agency, the ESA, uh, which headquarters happens to be in Toulouse, actually, in my, my French hometown. So there's a space museum, there's a space like uh, like an attraction park where you're going to see all these big rockets, like replication of whatever, and you see all these fantastic videos. Uh, yeah, that's, you will, uh, it's, it's like living in the movie, living the movie, basically, of space. <clears throat> but then... Uh, yeah, I guess I uh, I would love to go to one of these launching site, whether uh, it's uh, the NASA in Cap Canaveral or a guru for the ESA or JAXA, which is on the so-called launching base. Kind of a right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you have to go to uh, Disneyland to go to those Kennedy Space. Exactly. I mean, isn't is that is that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, isn't that hilarious? You know that that Disney slash NASA. I mean, you go to Disneyland and then you go to NASA. I mean. The displays that they have for their space rockets and everything and all their space gear and all the stuff are the exact same displays that they have for all of their Star Wars stuff and all of their Harry Potter stuff and just all of their completely made up stuff. So how do you mix fantasy with reality? How do you do that? And and nobody actually question it and kind of get the inside joke there. But um, can I just say something real quick? Uh, just to, as a short list that I could make. It's just interesting. I was just kind of thinking about this, that all the things that I was interested in as a young person i'm old now i have back problems and such like all the things i was interested in before i ever looked into anything i realized and i'm and i mean interested in the manner where i would actually like look things up i would go to the this is before the internet was right you know i, I was 14 15 internet was rampant stuff like that i mean i would look into things i would or i would read books about them like go to the library i was i was so interested in the stories and those are the titanic space columbine shooting 9-11, basically all that, the Holocaust, for some reason, those were the stories that I did so much looking, digging into, believing that it was so real and thinking how fascinating it was. And now that I realize the, the things that fascinated me the most at that age are, are the things that were completely made up. It's just astonishing to me. And space is one of those. So under there. That's a credit to how much detail they do throw in, enough to capture the imaginations of young detail-oriented persons like us because yeah i was into some of that stuff too and thinking what is this what is this story of humanity that we're in and i think as you said rochelle it's it's like that 
they want to control our understanding of the big, big questions. Why are we here? What are we doing? What is out there? Where do we belong? Because these are the most freeing, most liberating questions. So if they give us answers to these, then we kind of look up to them like they're gods. They control the very little lights in the sky, sort of, you know? Speaking of lights in the sky for just a minute, (laughs) perfect segue. Satellites do not have running lights, by the way. There is no schematic anywhere in existence where there's a light coming off a satellite. They're unlit. So if you see a running light, that blinking light, it's a FAA-approved vehicle that's slowly moving up there at 60,000 and above. But it's not a satellite. Clearing that up. That's a really good point, Kay. And if it's a solid light, too, it may be something that is flying, but which perhaps doesn't have some FAA clearance or is what we might call above certain state levels. Mm. There's Mm. also the natural phenomenon. We have to talk about this because, after all, everyone can at night look up and see these moving stars, right? And you can't explain it as a fridge or a car-sized appliance reflecting sunlight in the Earth's umbra. That just doesn't make sense, nor would it be like so large and bright. But there are these things called near-Earth asteroids and near-Earth objects, which regularly go around just as artificial satellites are said to do. And I don't think we have a record of how the number of near-Earth objects was separated from artificial satellites. It may very well be that they simply started naming them and saying, oh yeah, that's ours, that's E223, that's our, uh, you know, or whatever uh, skull and bones thing is going on. They don't, they don't really have a record of how the, uh, the near-Earth objects were um, separated from these artificial satellites. So therefore, it could be that the things that are making these bright lights, these slow-moving lights, are natural objects. Get out of your city and go to the mountains and just sit up in a clear night in the mountains and watch them. The point is that if there are multiple things like this going on, we already have a sort of explanation or we already have a, a reason to doubt what people are claiming is satellites. Not long ago, I was on a trip from South Florida to Orlando late at night. I went late at night and probably about close to midnight, I guess. I saw something out of the corner of my eye that was like a shooting star falling out of the sky that ended in sort of this flashy kind of explosion. And and I I was driving. I couldn't look too too long but it it was and i was thinking it it didn't look big enough to be like a a meteor but it was it was something that fell out of the sky and like burned and sort of you know exploded it was kind of bizarre but it wouldn't have been like a satellite i was one of the few people around that saw it. it was very remote it was very dark so probably wouldn't have seen it otherwise i have no idea what it was yeah not to get too much into those but i also saw something like that where i was biking home late at night and i just happened to look up and straight ahead of me a like burning thing made a huge plume of smoke in the sky and then it faded and it was remarkable to me because i could actually see the smoke in the night sky 
and watch it fade. And it was a uh, very, very strange something. Oh, what about the, uh, the thing I posted today with the, uh, the broadcast capability of these things? Where yes. Let us, that seems to be a little irreconcilable to me. Let us address these things. The Altair had three main concerns. How does GPS work, if not by picking signals from a satellite? We've discussed some options there. How can a satellite dish work only when pointing to a given point in the sky that can be calculated using a rather simple formula? And I guess that's supposed to be some argument for uh, there's some static place which doesn't fluctuate, unlike the ionosphere, which does. And then there's the what are the, the ground-based teleports for? So we've talked a little bit about all these things. And then he also adds... I have some main problems with satellites, which are thermal stabilization, basically that in a vacuum there isn't a way to shed heat, and so the thing, most things that just got high enough would simply explode or overheat or melt or whatever, not to mention the freezing temperatures on the dark side. And then you have orbit stabilization, which becomes a problem not only if you don't believe in expansion of gas pushing rockets or whatever there's free expansion of gas in a vacuum which makes uh, little jet plumes and such much more ineffective than we're told they are there's also the problem of fuel canisters and keeping them uh, constantly running to correct for disturbances for any kind of correction for collisions um, and then always keeping the antenna precisely pointed to earth and stuff like that so he makes some arguments for and against, and I think those are valid. But moving on to Farce Value's point, there's also the issue of power. So if you try to determine what regular digital TV network, the range that a land-based TV network has with an antenna, it's somewhere around plus or minus 60 miles probably, I think. I don't know if uh, any of you guys still try to get stuff over the air. I, I I can get some channels from West Palm Beach, which is, I don't know, 65 miles from where I am or something. But there, there's definitely a limit to the range that a land-based television station can broadcast, and it has to do with the amount of power that they push. So they have these low-power stations that are uh, operate under different regulations, and they it's related to the watt, and if if you're familiar with any power you know there's watts amps and volts and how tall is the antenna i think uh, <laughs> 333 meters no, something like that actually around a thousand feet i think something okay like and you said that the most you could go is 65 miles yeah for a 500 kilowatt station right. so now a 500 kilowatt generator this comes in at about three three and a half tons I think it's a little bit unwieldy, and they're kind of finicky. I posted a picture of a 500-kilowatt solar array, which looked like it took up a football-sized area on top of a building in Ontario. So now if a land-based television station has a range of 65 miles, these satellites are supposedly 22,000 miles away, and you could make the argument that it's a vacuum, so there's nothing that the waves have to travel through, but... Waves travel through masonry and steel and wood and all kind of stuff. And so how much does an atmosphere really matter? So the thing is, how do these satellites have the power to push that much further than a land-based TV station would have? That's like, I don't really 
that doesn't add up to me in any way, shape, or form. Well, the important question is, first value, are we talking about American football or soccer or <laughs> some people were saying, oh, yeah, at best, at very best, you can get 90 miles out of a so-called 150-mile antenna. And that's with a 500-kilowatt station. So how are these satellites, and even if they could get 500 kilowatts up there, they're still only going to be pushing out, six, I mean, the difference between 65 miles and 22,065 miles, that's, that's significant. Oh. It is. The, the science must be, I think, obscured. Because if, we, if we're really supposed to be understanding this, like the average person is really supposed to understand what this is and not just go, oh, it's those magic lights in the sky, then this language should be much more clear. I mean, it could be curvature. I guess that would come into it. But I mean, with a thousand foot antenna, then you're, you know, you're extending the curve. So you could say that the the waves that that's probably what the the argument that would be made. Waves are their line of sight or whatever. So their the curvature takes over. Satellites are radiating straight down. But I, I don't know if that really adds up. Did you get a look at the data that I clipped from IntelSat nine zero one? Oh yeah. So. It says there's the downlink frequency, the uplink frequency, and um, peaks of beams. I mean, I can I can conceptualize the information that I would need to understand a beam, but I don't know where any of these numbers plug in. Does it make sense to you, or El Sushi, or someone more technically minded? That to me that is more of a description of the frequency and, and spread. Rather than the power, but yeah. not. That's what it seems like. It seems like it's more a description of a wave. Could this also be... Because I'm not seeing either where it's supposed to be uh, on a map. So they say it's 340 degrees east. And that's roughly on the equator, as a bunch of these are supposed to be. And it's funny, too, how... Read some articles about satellites, they might say something like... When you see the lights in the sky, it might be a satellite. And then later in the article, it'll say something like, but the geostationary satellites that are so important are never those lights. So it's like this weird thing where they're like, look at the lights in the sky, but actually those aren't the important things. The important things are these invisible geostationary things. Yeah, the whole idea of geostationary, I mean, I think it, it must depend on a particular well they they have to be at a particular height, I guess right, and then once they're launched, they have to figure out how to get them to stop at this exact right orbital plane that they're going to be on, and then they just naturally just fall into this orbit i mean it seems and people would say, well, our argument from ignorance or whatever right that I just don't understand the science, so I I'm not capable of understanding the technical. Yes, that's true. So. But I then I would like to hear from someone who does understand. And so far, the people who are technically minded have told me, "Oh well, yes, okay, I guess it does." You know, but what about GPS? Well, well, the well, as for the GPS thing, I mean, uh, I was actually browsing an, an old thread of uh, of Cruise Forum on the satellite thread, which is pretty pretty massive. Uh, and I do remember reading uh, great pieces of research made. I mean, it would explain the uh, original 
mathematical equation discovered by this uh, uh, British scientist called Appleton. Uh, and then this, we were talking with Simon about this uh, NASA thing where, where basically they are telling you, well, you know, the ionosphere probably is the massive density of the electrons is one thing, but when it comes to sending a higher signal, like the HF, high frequency, the ionosphere is no longer uh, usable in the sense that it will, uh, the signal is, the terrestrial signal is too strong, basically. So that's why we need the uh, invention of a satellite, we will catch and bounce the signal back to the to the Earth, basically. That's what the NASA is telling you. That's how they play with you in, in the sense uh, where right dismiss the, uh, the high density property of the ionosphere. I haven't researched more than this as well. I'm, I'm, it would take you a lot of time for that. I would love to meet someone basically who uh, happens to be working on this. I have a few acquaintances of mine basically, but I don't think, uh, I, I don't know if they would, they would be ready to, you know, start a, <laughs> a real discussion about that because uh, besides from working in, into their very small laboratory very uh, you know theoretical way I don't I'm not really sure if you know whether any of those special so-called specialists have uh, you know has witnessed a real rocket launching I don't think so we are going back to the comp you know compatibilization uh, and uh, there are lot, lots of spooky men and women who are basically working at the top positions of the ESA, NASA, you know. So, uh, uh, was it Reichstag Fireman? Yes, I think that's exactly what you were talking about. In the 1920s yeah. and 30s, shortwave was used for skywave propagation. This yes. is Reichstag Fireman on August 29th, 2012. And he adds, and the theory hasn't changed. It works too right. with microwaves today. Then he gives exactly. an example. An example frequency is 10.77325 gigahertz or some such. That is the microwave frequency on which BBC One and Two are broadcast via Austra slash SES 1N Skywave quote transponder 25 unquote into um, the UK and Ireland. Then he talks about the ionosphere electron density above the tropics on a sunny summer day at the solar cycle maximum is five times 10 to the 12 meters uh negative anyway there's very specific data here about how the ionosphere can actually be calculated fairly reliably and how pointing dishes up at the ionosphere can yes. appear to be yeah, pointing very, out into very, space that's a major major thing yes it's yeah, based on because this equation then you can you can measure observe yeah you can plan things you can materialize you can you can build devices and it also explains why so many satellites, so-called satellites, are around the equator, because there is a more yep. stable, uh, predictable pattern. Correct, yes. Yeah, I would concur with, with that analysis. The first time, the very first time I read that one was back in 2012. Was, that was, that was, yeah, I took some notes and I remember myself researching a little bit more, working on, uh, on these satellite things. Uh, to a more technical thing, yeah, um, you, you can calculate the inclination of these waves and so couple with these underwater cables. I think it does make sense to me. Then there's the Loran Loran system, which is still massively used by the navigators, the military as well. But if you're like me, you probably know some people who maybe claim to work on satellites and maybe even were paid by NASA or ESA, and they, you know, they're convinced 
that yes. oh yeah i had to build this computer and you know yes. it was all i was working on this one part how do we explain all these people employed are they simply employed to waste everyone's time you know that's the argument i would love to actually meet like that. Oh, yeah, just briefly i would love to meet like people who actually uh quit their jobs because they actually realize maybe and uh the 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 the, the hoax that it that it is or they were just enabled to access the real data or witness a real uh, rocket launching and stuff and you know who were employed and were originally asked to work on a certain task they just just gave up i would love to meet these people because meeting the the other ones i think it's just uh, they're in there for the money and for well for the privilege of you know knowing that you know we work for high level technology and that's how, that's how I see it. So I think that there's a, probably a lot of industries out there that are just meant to keep people busy, kind of almost worse than running on the rat wheel. But, you know, as far as what, how would you explain people building this and that? I mean, people build movie sets and, and that doesn't mean that they actually built, that they actually went to Star Wars land. You know what I'm saying? You can build things that doesn't necessarily mean that it's real. And um, it's a huge scam as far as money goes, basically. And um, I think that it keeps people with intuitive mind. Not well, I guess they are not too intuitive, but people who could potentially use their brain power for other things. I think that it keeps them busy and and keeps them not looking elsewhere. And it's a money pit. I'm sure people get very very rich off of it. So yeah, that's true. I don't. What I'm saying is that I don't think that just because you produce a satellite. I mean, people build cars, and then you actually see the cars out there driving around and stuff like that. Like you get to see it work. You could probably test test drive the car yourself. If you build a satellite, first of all, you're not necessarily building a satellite. You probably who is putting the last screw in on the satellite? You know what I'm saying? Like you're, it's not right. like people are just build, building pieces of it, you know. But it's who, compartmentalized. Yeah, who who puts the last screw on and sends it up into the air and gets to test it? Because I think that that's really what it comes down to. In pretty much everything else, you can physically, you can see it actually working um but satellites are not one of those things you know and i had this argument with somebody also they're saying well what if they're what if you know I, I, just real quick I've, I've i've i'm sure i've said this before my my dad used to always say i don't know is not an answer and i was just thinking that you know that's the answer that we get for every important question from our <laughs> authorities or whatever that is that's the answer for anything that you know well how did we get here why are we here like all the really important questions like the answer is i don't know and so, um, you know, I was talking to somebody about them. They're like, well, what if they really didn't know? And that's what, you know, they're covering up and they don't know. And they don't, you know what I mean? They're trying to figure it out. And I'm like, no, because if they were trying to figure it out, they would want us to be a part of that process. Because like the number one way to solve a problem is to let everybody in on it. And, you know, it's like, it's like we become this super think tank, you know what I'm saying? And so like, I think that they do know and they want to keep us away from it because otherwise we would be involved in the process. I, I really feel like that because we, our brains, like our minds were meant to discover things, you know? And so it seems like rather we're being held down and held back rather than being uplifted and, um, and asked to explore and look deeper into things, you know? We're only asked to look at it from this certain angle or this certain direction. And so to me, that just indicates that they do know something more and they're not just trying to figure it out and scared to let us know that they don't know. 
That's sad. Yeah, oh. I, I agree with that. It's it's almost like similarly when you, 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 you enter a new company and you have a bunch of coworkers around you and they are not really willing to share uh, some basic information about how you should uh, do this and that or not willing to share that uh, whatever uh, way of doing things, you know. So it's on the very, uh, on a lower level, it's, it's a very common thing, I would say. Um, this idea of when we found something that we don't want you to know because there of course there's a huge uh, outcome with that there's a lot of money involved i guess uh, it makes sense it makes sense for when you, you reach that level of control and power so it makes sense to hold back right and, and to steer people yes. away so they don't exactly. discover what you have discovered but yeah that's kind of what i feel like i don't i feel like that's kind of what's going on in the most elaborate ways that we may not even be privy to, you know, and that's kind of what I think about, talk about bouncing things off the ionosphere and this and that. And it's like, I don't even, I think it would be really funny if we did actually, if we actually achieved the ability, you and I, all six of us here or whatever, if we achieved the ability to actually get up there to space and then we realize that there's, that there's nothing there. You can't even get out of, you know what I mean? I think that'd be freaking hilarious. Like, but you know, who's going to do that? Who's ever going to have the ability to do that? And so, you know, basically, we'll never know. And that's what's so wonderful about this. So we had to invent oh, the story and then make, make you believe that we can do it. Sorry. We will I'm know just... because you were going to be able to spend, you know, what, 10 grand to go up there and on the space elevator. Sometime very soon here, we'll be able to um, to pay our way into space. And I also think it would be hilarious if space did exist. I mean, either way, it's freaking amazing, isn't it? And, like, we either way, like, I'm still... How the fuck did we get here? What the fuck is all that? So um, either way, it's something to marvel. So. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's. Um, yeah, we're ahead. we're told that we're crazy for thinking this and that about the Earth and space or whatever. I'm not talking about flat Earth at all. I'm just saying, you know, about NASA in general and their. I but you know, the story that they give us is pretty freaking amazing in itself, and that's what's so funny about all the stuff. I guess the Titanic, 9/11. I mean, we could bring it back to there. You know, people talk about our alternative theories and how psychotic they are and you know everybody says that the original conspiracy theory was the original version is the, that's the craziest thing is the, is what's coming from their mouths basically yeah absolutely it's uh, it's it's as if we uh it's it's more comfortable to believe in these things anyway than to research by ourselves by, by ourselves just uh yeah a because you, yeah so the yeah conf, conf, yeah of easiness, yeah. of like it's easy. I'm easy. I'm easy. Yeah. I like. I uh, like being uh, like washed, brainwashed, whatever. It's just the sensation of, uh, uh, like, um, yeah. I'm I'm feeling numb, but I like it. <laughs> it's just well. Well, it allows uh, you to get up and go to work every day. That's for sure. You that's know? true. Because <laughs> you're just like, yeah. what? What else is there to do, sushi? What else is there to do except for get up and go to work? Because you know they've already figured everything out. Shit's pretty boring. But to tell you the truth, yeah. everything's yeah, pretty fucking boring. Yeah, we it out for you. You know, exactly. Absolutely. I think I, yeah. And a, a vast majority of your people, it does help you to live your, your social life in, in a much better way as well. And that's, I understand that too. I, uh, yeah, they know that. They play with this. And oh, so. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. Fascinating. Yep. So, so maybe next there. time we'll talk. Yeah, like we, we've covered how rocketry is a bit questionable, and we've talked about how uh, space is so many different contradicting stories that we can't tell how they're managing to get around their own story when right. they say they've put things up there in the manner that they've said and 
So yeah, we should definitely bring that up and review that for people next time. And yeah, yeah, the we weren't, you said we weren't invited back. Oh, uh, I was just saying, <laughs> that's funny, you're teasing me. No, no, I'm saying it'd be lovely if if you could come back, but I don't want to pressure you if Kay and I just have to, we want to try to right, put out yeah. more shows more often, yeah. so. Don't rely on moi, absolutely. But, but please, please do come back. Um, right. We should, I was wondering if anyone would be willing to, you know, maybe give themselves an assignment like, go to a place where you can see lots of stars and try to uh, pick up on, you know, something. Observe the sky is basically the assignment. Oh, <sighs> boy, you're sitting in sort of shill stargazing, uh, <laughs> a shill stargazing assignment. Yeah, and when you, you get out s- there, my <laughs> agents are going to be all about you, you know. You just, I just need to get you to an isolated area. You just, just stare at the star. No, I just need you to look at the stars for at least 10 hours, okay? And see if you figure them out. No, um, just I leave would, your house for 10 hours. Yes, I don't care exactly. what you do. And just go stare at the sky. Don't don't pay attention to anybody staring at you. But um, I would love to take up that, uh, that, that assignment because um, I want to get the hell out of the city. I mean, what, what are your other choices? You, there's some blogs and, and, you know, maybe some sites where there's some enthusiasts with telescopes and, and film and stuff. I mean, NASA mm-hmm. is kind of like off the table as far as getting <laughs> out information, right? So, yeah, if you, that's true. I mean, other, you know, I don't have the opportunity. I don't have, I don't have any place near me where there's no light pollution. I can't even get without driving hours to find stars, you know? Yeah, okay, so maybe it, maybe it's a harsh assignment to say we have to go out and observe. It's too hard, but... Um, how about looking for best evidence? Maybe next time we could think, what's oh the best gosh. evidence? Okay, that is the topic that we didn't actually go over, is how to determine evidence, like what we determine as evidence, and how we've, how we've come to vet our various things. That was even in our discussion, if you remember, Kay, like... we were going to say, okay, this is not only we're going to walk people through the waking up process and social pressures, but also like how we ended up with something that we felt we needed to share in the first place. Yeah, as for me, I would would love to uh, dig into the rocket thing a little bit more like uh, speaking of evidences, like, yeah, the idea of what do they do? What do these rockets do? Do they even exist? Or how far do they go? That's something uh, I f- that I feel we could possibly demonstrate. But if we had the tools, if we had the uh, coordination, <laughs> uh, but uh, given that given that apparently there's like any kind of uh, rocket launching site has this kind of regulation, which says basically that you can't really. Uh, penetrate uh, a protected zone, which is like six or seven miles. Away. I'm not quite sure about the legal distance. And then the protection zone for viewing, or yeah, for viewing. That's what yeah. they say. Yeah, that's what they yeah. say. To, to like to be sitting in the seats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay, yeah. So I just saw the video. Yeah, I I just saw how far away it was. Right, the, it's the, always the seats very far. to the thing. I was like, what? I never even knew that it was that freaking far. Like that's yeah. I mean, that's, come on, that's ridiculous. So that's one it's thing. A, it seems to be far, but then it's land. from a video. So I would, I would love to do it myself from, from perspective and shooting a video if, that is, if, if that's even possible. That's because I'm, I'm going to sure. rocket launch. <laughs> yeah, that would be a... El Sushi, can you, can you see a, a big star field? Is it possible? 
Can you yeah, get out of I, the city? Yeah, I can see that. If I do like 60 kilometers away from Tokyo, yeah, I can even last like 40 kilometers. I can I can start seeing stars. All right. Here. Yeah. Please try and let us know if you see any satellites, okay? Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing that the last time I went to Europe. I didn't see any. But the summer, summertime is... A big question, El Sushi, when you see the, the, or anyone, when you see the bright light thing in the sky, what direction is it moving? Because for me, it's always east to west. All the blinking satellites I see in my backyard, always, they follow a, a, dire- a pathway almost. I don't uh, tell you exactly, but I'm going to pay attention to that. So you think the, this, this light's crossing like five from yeah. east to west. That's interesting. Yeah, with a steady blinking light. Yeah, yeah. Then and I looked it up once and they're like, it's a glint. I'm like, uh, no. How much, how much do you think a good telescope costs? I also okay. wanted to ask you guys if you thought it'd be a good idea to start a Reddit of some kind that would solicit from the public like hey we doubt satellites exist ask us anything and then we We're just like no and we no. get th- we throw out all the harassment you know all the harassment that's going to be like well did you like try like blowing your brains out you know like we're just gonna like we're gonna throw those out but i have but if there are like a couple <laughs> the whole reddit is managed from langley from top to bottom the gun, the gun jam just like yeah it's, it's like lockheed martin employees just like logging it's like jref is like, uh, god no it's true it's true but at the same time i just feel like there could be a way to talk directly to the average person you know, and then we say, then we we only take respectful things. The people who are like, "All right, I'll show you how mentally superior I am," and they give you, you know, their like breakdown, and that is usually where they actually start discussing actual things. Is where they're like, "Well, here's this official NASA thing. Here's blah blah blah. Explain this." And once in a while, there's something in there that we can go, "Okay, look, here's where you're actually taking an observation for yourself." and not from some official source and here's where you actually have some understanding of die wave and i don't know is it worth our time or do is it going to be like you know one in a million comments that's actually it probably be one in a million but it might be worth it though it would be interesting to see as a trial basis at least for sure i think it'd totally be worth it it's just an it's more communication how can that be bad that's a good thing and and advertisement on top of that yeah, traffic I love would it. skyrocket regardless. Hit them young people out there. You know, there's so mm-hmm. many of them. They don't come over here to us. We got to go out there and get them. I work for NASA. I'm responsible mm-hmm. for putting the fuel in the satellite. I've watched yes. them being launched. <laughs> and then I yes. monitor the TV when they're out there. I do course correction. survivors, too. Yeah, that is actually the, the first ones I'd expect is... And my dad died in 9-11, sorry. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I was in Paris and everywhere else, yeah. Yeah, and at I was shot in Orlando. Damn, at the same damn time. <laughs> and I discovered a new dinosaur. At the same damn time, yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I have seen a couple of good Reddit threads, though, to be honest. There, there have been, but yeah, they usually get shut down pretty quick. Anybody that starts making sense, there's just a pylon. <sighs> You're right. It's just, it's more for amusement and entertainment than it is for education. But just to get the title there, just to put the thought in their head, 
you know, I think is that's also beneficial. Right. Do satellites exist? What? They might Who's not. What? Yeah, do satellites exist? Gosh, it sounds like there's no way to frame it without it getting trashed or official story questioners ask me anything or uh, I don't know. How about why are satellites redundant? Or, you know, hmm. put it in another a thing I didn't mention. And, and I had done some research and I think I put it in, in a thread at some point about the, the processors and satellites are so far behind current. What? No, 19, 1975. That's not that far behind. <laughs> yeah. You're crazy. Yeah, hey, what kind of Wi-Fi system you. is that? What kind of Wi-Fi system uh, is that? I mean, uh, El Sushi's breaking up. He's only, you know, 15,000 miles away from and, us. And so supposedly <laughs> the, the new thing is they have FPGA, these fuel, fuel gate processor arrays or whatever, that, but they have to be updated with new operating systems and algorithms and stuff as the software progresses so they're they're more flexible but then you run into that issue of like how are you how are you getting in there and like communicating all this stuff via wireless and of course they have to be radiation hardened and that takes years and so they're just like all this stuff is so it's so antiquated but at the same time there's a billion new cell phone users on the planet but it just keeps up it never has, never stutters, yeah. never has a problem. Well, you and don't know about the servicing missions that they send up there, far. <laughs> you don't know if they send rockets up there to go work. So basically, servicing missions, like, they obviously have robots then that go up there and tinker around. Tink, 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 <laughs> I saw the Jetsons. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, the There's Jetsons no may be one of the original psyops, if you think about it. But you know what? My daughter works for the tele. She uh, installs uh, cell towers. And I like this story. Tower, we people need towers. to hear the story every single time we talk about space. <laughs> cell towers, self, all cell phones, cell towers are nothing else, just cell towers. There's no, there's no satellites at all for um, any cell phone. I've heard that from so many people who've talked to the technicians that said when they're coming to install something, they're like, so this dish points to a satellite, right? And they're like, no, it's an antenna. Where's the satellite? Oh, I don't know. I mean, that's like, this is, I've heard this so many times now that I can't dismiss this as, as insignificant. There's a marketing aspect to telling everyone about satellites. Well, I, I will mention this on, yeah, on this recording marketing. Yeah. that I had, I had read an article and I, I still kick myself for not clipping it, but I had done some research on uh, ships and remote locations and GPS. And at the time they would have to email uh, the GPS coordinate provider, their approximate location. And then they would wait for a few hours or a day or something. And then they would get an email back telling them exactly where they were. And I thought that was pretty curious. It's like, well, why you got satellites up there? Why don't you just grab a satellite signal and they'll tell you exactly where you were, but no. And so, but there are companies now that are bragging that they can do vehicle tracking at anywhere in the world. So, but now that I see that submarine cable map and all the islands and there's, as cell phone technology's gotten more ubiquitous, they probably just have these antennas all over the place that they could triangulate with. There's antennas everywhere now. I mean, they were popping up like crazy since uh, the 90s. Cell phone towers popping up all over the place. There's more and more antennas up on those hills outside of cities. Some people say that you can even see more waves in the clouds just due to the sheer amount of 
signals everywhere now that the clouds are actually being affected and you can see like oh that is a signal we're watching deform the cloud formation i really feel like that's what these some of the trails possibly could be too yeah the 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 so-called contrails where they're, to- no that actually just happened in phoenix today hmm. i was walking around and looking up at the trails that they were dropping and it, it's absolutely turning around right over the city there there's mm-hmm. no right around the city, there yeah. there's no direct airplane that goes you know let's go from you know i know i know you're looking at the we're not going to do a u-turn and then keep on flying for hundreds of miles away no or fly straight up and straight down like everybody's pinned to the back wall of the airplane is it five thousand different flights like you know and nowhere near an airport that you know of and then like it's going in like what direction are you going in then flying in grid patterns like what the fuck like, no just... yeah there's something to those trails and I, <laughs> yeah. I i strongly suspect it is communications related yeah as i you think say. so too i think so also you know i was on the roof actually with an electrician and we were and you know it was one of those days where it was just like wow like they are just laying it down and it definitely affects the weather too i mean it yep. seems like it's nice you know what i mean and they clear shit up real good they can make it cloudy they can make it clear but um, anyway, it was a clear, hot day, and they were spraying and stuff like that. Thank you for doing that. I like when they make nice summer days for us. And, you know, I was just talking to the electrician, and I said something about it possibly being related to wireless. He just agreed with me. He's like, yeah, actually. He's like, I think so, too. You know, and this is, I'm sure they don't really know where electricity comes from, but I consider him, <laughs> it's interesting to do a job and not really know exactly what it's all about. Yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, I consider he was a Russian guy, too. And, I, you know, he definitely, like, totally agreed with it. He's like, yeah, I think so, too, actually. Like, I think that that's totally possible. And him just being an electrician and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. It just kind of felt. I was like, oh, yeah, we're in agreement about that. It makes the most sense to moi. Really? <sighs> Good talking to you. Yes. Until next time. I do. Bye, all. Let's keep it real together. Yes, let's keep it. We're keeping it real right now. Good. And we're going to keep it real in the future, too. Good. Yeah. Antidote to keeping it fake together. Oh, yeah. I definitely don't want to keep it. Yeah. I don't. I'm tired of those people keeping it fake together. (laughs) That's so funny. Maybe here. Have a good night. All right. Bye. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, Jack. Good night. Thank you so much for joining us, gentlemen. Yes, Appreciate thank that. you, everybody, so much. And lady. Gentlemen and lady. Yes, good night. Good night. See you around. Bye. Bye.
it's you.